This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, you remember a few weeks ago when we said we will be back next Tuesday? Well, we're not really good at keeping promises, are we? <laughs> What happened? Um, I think you got busy, and I got free and <laughs> we just kind of uh, well you actually time. you just got free yeah you just got free you were we knew that you were going to be under the gun for another two or three weeks and i think it it stretched out closer to three weeks and then i don't know this from talking to you but i know from reading on patreon that you needed some decompression time and i think you, i could i think i could use about a year of decompression time <laughs> But you're at least decompressed <laughs> enough to do to do a couple of podcasts. Yes, and if all goes well, knock on wood, which I usually substitute my head for that, um, we can soon start moving back into doing Hack the Craft podcast and the line editing, which I'm sure has been sorely missed. I've sorely missed doing it. It's just very time-consuming. Um, and, and get back up and ro- rolling again, um, fingers crossed really tightly. Uh, I've still got a few more um, not as critical deadlines, but still deadlines coming down the pipeline. But So give I'm us a gonna... quick status update for people who don't follow you on Facebook or are not on your well, Patreon I page. I have been on Facebook. Patreon's pretty much the only place where any updates have been going right now. I need to do a newsletter, a newsy, but I'm so tapped out. Like My writing brain is so tapped out that I have started that newsy several times, and I just couldn't. I was just like, I've got nothing left. <laughs> so I've, I've disappeared off social media. It's like, um, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that it kept getting more and more critical. I'm, I'm behind, I'm behind. And finally, it just all came to a head where I had very small window to get this book finished. And there are reasons why, and for those of you who are patrons, you under, will understand this already, this has been the hardest book I've ever written. And it's not about the writing, it's about the storytelling. It is an, an incredibly complex story. And maybe one day we can, when we're not having to worry about spoilers, we can break down the complexity of what actually made it so difficult. And the goal as a writer is that the readers will never see it. They'll just be along for the ride of what you have already figured out and laid laid out before them. And it just absolutely makes sense that it should be this way, even if it takes a while before you actually start to feel the story come together. Um, because there are so many, many, many moving parts. It's kind of like in Liar's Paradox. You, you just kind of have to roll with it. But as the story starts to come together and you get closer to the end, it all begins to make sense and, and come together. But if you thought Liar's Paradox was complex or complicated, this mm. Liar's Legacy is like 10 times as much for me as the author of having to deconstruct it. So uh, it came to this crisis of where I had no time for anything and I was like had this these subsequent deadlines 
very short. I kept missing them. They'd extend them a little bit longer. And it's like, I can only do so much so fast because of the complexity. It wasn't even the writing itself. It was like, whose eyes, how, how do I convey all this information in a way that, that just flows naturally? So it got to the point where I, I, I was just completely sequestered. There's, there's no time for anything else. And it's just like staring down the barrel of the gun. It's just got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And that's all it was. And it, it went on for so long like that. Uh, it, we didn't, I didn't pull out of doing the podcasts until towards the later phase of it, but I'd already been in that really time compressed mode for so long. So when I finally did turn in this, the final draft, it, it just, didn't even really sink into my head that, Hey, I actually finished this book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's yeah, that's right. It's it's done. Like, you know, the hard part is done. And of course, when, when a book goes into production like that, it still has many phases, steps and more deadlines. I still got to go through copy editing and, um, you know, these different production steps it has to go through, but the hardest part, the, the writing of the story is finished. And so I'm just kind of like one of those, um, air toys that you see outside like garage uh like places that sell cars car lots Mm -hmm. whatever you know they're standing there waving their hands in the air you know and then all of a sudden the air goes out of them and they just kind of there's nothing they just like (laughs) collapse on the floor (laughs) that's kind of me right now i'm just like (laughs) and so this last week i've finally had a chance to like i still am like a month or more behind on email like i have not had a during this time, I didn't have time to answer email. I didn't have time to, to pay bills. I've, I've had late fees. I, it's just, my life just went into pure chaos. Right. And so I'm, I'm like digging through that now, sort of starting to figure out where all the pieces are and take care of the emergency. So yes, if you've written an email and haven't heard from me, that's why. But, um, in this, in this, this last week of just kind of decompressing and, and, and figuring things out, I've had a chance to do things like, you know, see movie and, and watch some television and, you know, just take a walk. (laughs) I've been, I've been a sloth for the last four months where I have heart, like the most exercise I've gotten is walking across the house to the kitchen or to the office or whatever. So it's just like, I, I'm writing an, an endorphin high right now. Let me ask you a few questions. So while you were deep in the writing crap, we'll say, were you ever fearful? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Go I mean, roll not, with roll with me here. Just get one fearful. word answer. Pretend pretend we're on you're on the on the witness stand. At the end of this process, were you joyful? Yeah. Okay. And what are those sensations? Oh, I get where you're going now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for... a little slow here, my brain. Those are both emotions. All right. Steve. So, we're, what we're, we actually do have a writing topic today, and that is generating emotions in the reader, not generating emotions in Taylor, but using Taylor as an example. Taylor mentioned that she's been able to watch a little bit of television. And we were talking before we came on the air about this series that you watched a couple of episodes about and just kind of jump in and pick up the story. Okay. Anybody who knows me knows that I have a really hard time, generally speaking, watching television. Um, There's not only is there so much out there, but I'm 
incredibly hyperactive and my, my brain is hyperactive. So to sit there and watch something is hard for me unless it really pulls me in and, and keeps my attention. And so the general rule is I'll watch two or three episodes of something. And if it doesn't do it for me, then I'm moving on to something else. And so Barry is an HBO show about kind of a, a morose assassin. He's despondent. <laughs> Barry, like, the he's, despondent assassin. He's, he's, he's an assassin, but he's not into it. He just does it because it's a job and he's good at it. And he, one of his targets that he's handed is this guy who, um, he's an actor who's, he's, he's a instruct, like a gym instructor type thing. Who's instructing quote unquote, the wrong woman. Um, <laughs> and, uh, a trainer, right. And, but he's also a wannabe actor. And so, um, in pursuing this target, Barry, the despondent assassin, ends up being mistaken as a wannabe actor and gets pulled into this group of acting friends, and he ends up taking acting classes. And the whole—I've only seen like two or three episodes of it, but I've enjoyed it enough. The, the script—the the writing is really good on this thing. It's really well acted. It's really well done. It's, it's entertaining. It's hilarious in so many different ways. And so I definitely want to continue it, but how it ties into this podcast specifically in terms of emotion is there, um, the actors in this, this little group of actors, they refer to the bad things that happen to them or these awful things they experience as tools, tools in their acting toolbox that when they experience extreme grief or fear or something along those lines, they then, instead of feeling bad about it, they'll go, oh, that's a tool. We can take that and then we can, you know, use it to impart the characters that we're trying to portray in these, these acting scenes. And um, as I was watching that, I was like, you know, that that's exactly what it's like for authors, too is that anything that we experience in terms of emotion becomes a tool that we're able to then convey onto the page through characters. It doesn't mean that you experience the exact same thing. They were making some joke. Um, they had to do some piece where he was a pedophile priest or something. And he's like, I don't know what it's like to molest boys or something and the girl's like well have you ever done something bad that you that that you shouldn't have done and she doesn't know that she he's an assassin that he's asking this question to and he's like yes and she's like okay well then you know what that feels like and so you can impart that into your acting and so it's it's like that for us as authors anything that we experience in terms of deep emotion, you can, you don't have to be that bad guy to be able to know what it is to do something bad. If you've ever done anything bad and have experienced feelings of grief or shame or whatever, you can impart that through into it in a character, even if the actions and the person and the decision-making is completely different. So the topic that Steve said, we were talking about emotions, and it ties into this other aspect of what I had seen in this television show. And so that's all coming together for what we're going to talk about. All right. So a question for you. I have written several emotional scenes over the course of the last few years. And because 
my memory is not great. When I, when I go back and reread things, uh, all of the emotion hits me. And it's like, wow, this is great. I, in, in my own mind, I'm thinking, this is really great because the emotion is hitting me. But I have no idea whether the emotion is hitting me because I know what the emotion is supposed to be or whether everything that I need to do to create that emotion is on the page. You know, that's a really, really salient point because the simple truth is you cannot know. Um, every reader will bring their own experiences to the page. Um, always when we talk, speak of emotion, I, I always go back to the informationist because I myself was in probably the most raw state I've been in, in for, for any book in terms of my own newness to the world, my own anger at not fitting in because choices had been taken from me. And although Monroe as a character is not me and her life was not mine, that rawness does come through in in some shape or form, the rawness of being a third culture kid in, a, in an unfamiliar situation. And the, for the most part, most readers who read that book feel the emotion a lot of that raw, angry emotion. But there are also readers who completely get none of that. They feel the characters are wooden, they're flat, they've got nothing to them, that it's just, um, yeah, cardboard cutouts. So although you as an author can take all the emotion you have to give and put that on the page, there's never going to be a guarantee that the readers will feel will pick up on the same because so much of that has to do with their life experiences. If they've never felt those types of emotions themselves, then you can do all the conveying in the world. They're still not going to feel it because there's no, no material to work. They have no tools in their toolbox. One of the things that I find interesting about, at least for me as a reader, and feeling emotion when I'm reading something is the difference between, and this is going to sound really obvious, but the difference between sensing the emotion or being told what the emotion is. Yeah. You know, uh, Susie, yeah. Susie was devastated um, versus these other things that are happening to Susie that leads you to believe that Susie is crushed by this thing that's happened, but the author doesn't tell you that Susie's been crushed. It's easier to just say Susie's been crushed, and that way you have a little bit con more control over seemingly letting the user know what emotion is in play, but it's not as effective. Right. So that's where the adage of show, don't tell comes into play. But it's... um. It, sometimes it can be beneficial just to tell, and it really would depend on the weight of emotion that you're trying to convey. And sometimes getting to the real emotion by telling something, it can be a shortcut. So sometimes um, it, it can become tedious if all you ever do, tedious to the reader, mm -hmm. if all you ever do as the author is just show, 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 show. So I'm thinking of some of the times that I personally will just use the tell to get emotion out of the way when I'll say like, you know, he did X, Y, Z, which was maddening. 
Okay, so maddening, frustrating, whatever, frustration, that's an emotion. And so to, to shortcut that, you just say, okay, it, it was maddening or, you know, the evasion, his evasiveness was maddening, rather than go through another 300 words to show the character doing whatever motions or whatever that it, someone would feel when they get um, frustrated. So in my own writing, I tend to save the show part for what is um, the heavier emotion. And sometimes I don't even use showing so much as dialogue, the, the interaction. And this is still fresh in my mind because having just come off of Liar's Legacy, there's a lot of push-pull in that book between different characters. And... It, it's hard for me to, to give specific examples now because <laughs> spoilers and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to tell one and, and just hope that, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. There, there's a scene where um, somebody is at the mercy of somebody else, and they've been um, at each other for a long time in, throughout the story. They know each other in a sense just because they've been antagonists. And one says to the other, so I guess you won. And the other says back, this isn't winning. And you don't have to convey, you don't have to then show in like this character, you know, started sweating or smiling or any, any of that, because just those two lines of dialogue right there, you know, I guess you won and, you know, no, this isn't winning, is you can tell that there is a mutual respect. You can tell that this is not, um, this is not triumph. It is kind of the only way type thing. So, so much emotion can be conveyed, and that's not like depth of like soul-wrenching emotion, but it is emotion because you get inside the characters' heads and you know what the characters are feeling. You're not told that they're, you know, this is the only way or whatever, but just through the dialogue itself, emotion can, can be conveyed like that. Um, and then, so, so I find like, that type of conveying emotion can be even more useful in many ways than showing what a person does, clenching their hands, cleansing their jaws. I mean, there's, there's, there are wheels you can look at that help, ex, you know, show you what happens, diagrams of what happens to express emotion through action or whatever. But really, when you think about it, so much of our emotion is limited to outward, very limited outward expression. You know, you have our facial expressions, you have our hands, you have body posture, um, and you know, you can pace, you can sit, but there's only so much that can be shown on the page. In real life, much of, commun more, more communication is done non-verbally just through watching facial expressions and body language and what have you, that's real life, but on the page, you're incredibly limited by how much of that you can use before it starts becoming repetitive. So to, to really convey emotion, I think depth of emotion, depth of soul, more effective than showing it 
is speaking it, having the characters speak. One of our rules in this show is to not have, he said, comma, something else, or she said, comma, something else. That's something that we try not to do. Um, But I see it often as a way of expressing, very quickly expressing emotion. And the, the, I mean, the first thing that pops into mind, and this is it's a really bad example, but it's like a character says something to another, and the line finishes with, she said, comma, sadly. Right. So my mind immediately branched off in two separate directions. So I'm going to try and not run all over the place with this. First of all, the reason that we do a hunt and replace, it's one of the hack the craft tips is to search the novel, your manuscript for said, he said, comma, and she said, comma, because usually when people, especially those who don't have that much uh, writing, like actual finished book experience under their belt, they will use that to do exactly what you said, which is add on a dialogue tag, which is sadly, uh, or angrily, or happily, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so before I follow that tangent, I just want to say that sometimes, like I do, and I was very aware of doing it in Liar's Legacy, I would do, he said, comma, and then continue with action, separate action, um, keep the sentence flowing, because it was not a full-on conversation. It was um, dialogue inserted in the midst of action or whatever. So there are exceptions to that rule. I'm not saying it's a hard and fast rule. But when you use it in that sense to tag on a quote-unquote emotion, when we call them dialogue tags, those cheapen the writing because it is the epitome of telling instead of showing. Now, Like I'd said before, there are times when it's just easier and faster to just tell it than to have to show everything, but that is not the way to do it. Now, caveat for everything, just because I say it shouldn't be done doesn't mean that people more successful than me haven't done it. Sometimes people just do it, but from a craft perspective, it is cheapening your writing. So what do you do instead? If I'm in that situation where I want to convey that same she said sadly without cheapening the writing, I follow the thought action speech rule. Is it okay if I pat myself on the back here because I was thinking that that was the answer? (laughs) You should so (laughs) pat yourself on the back. That's so awesome. Um, We know that sadly is the emotion, so I would show it first. You know, I would say her posture slumped or her voice lowered or describe something. And then I might even say, and sadly, or and with sadness, she said, bam. But because that emotion has been put up front, as part of the inner dialogue, part of the action before the actual speech, the reading brain has already begun to assimilate it. It has already slipped into sadness mode. 
And so when the dialogue comes after you've already been guided in that direction, whether through outright telling or through subtlety, however you've chosen to do it, it doesn't feel cheap because it's not being tacked on at the end. So it's it's not so much that, okay, so there are people who just do not have an issue with dialogue tags, who will just say, and I've seen it in, in you know, Facebook groups or whatever, where people, they're talking about craft, they're talking about writing, and someone will ask a question exactly like that, you know, why can't I end it with sadly? And a lot of people will say, you can, there's nothing wrong with that, it, it helps to keep the story moving or whatever, okay? So just because I say it's a certain way doesn't mean it's the Bible, right? But from a craft perspective, it's, it is known, <laughs> these things are known, that dialogue tags cheapen the writing. And it, it, there's never usually an explanation as to why. And that is my explanation, is that it's, it's an afterthought. It, you, your, your brain is flowing along, reading this, reading this, and all of a sudden, comma, afterthought. So by switching it up and putting that afterthought, so it's a forethought, you're guiding the reading brain into it. it the, the emotion has a chance to build before the words are said, and it conveys in a way that actually feels deeper just because you switch the words around. You know, one of the things that I do because I'm a person who doesn't take the word of people, I like to see actual – I like to see it. And so I, I hear you say all this stuff. And I've heard you say this stuff for years. And then if – I'll go back to books written by authors whose work I really respect and whose writing technique I really like, and I wish that I could write like those people. And I pay attention to the sentences and to situations like that. And almost without exception, you know, the rules that we're talking about on this show and in, in the Hack to Craft material are – the way that they write. And it doesn't mean that I don't read lots of other books that don't have that, and I also enjoy those books, but the writers that I want to emulate follow much of the stuff that you're teaching us through this podcast and the Hack the Craft stuff. And so it, it's it, do it yourself. If, you, if you're out there listening and you're going, hmm, I wonder if that's true, just go pluck a book off your bookshelf of someone who's writing you really like and you really respect their craft and look for these things and see what you see. But just keep in mind, there's a difference between storytelling and writing craft. And, you know, storytelling, like before I became a writer, Robert Ludlum was the greatest storyteller on earth to me. I would never have become a writer if it, or a novelist, a storyteller, if I hadn't discovered Robert Ludlum's novels, Jason Bourne in particular. I can't read them now because from a craft perspective, a writing perspective, he's just awful. But he's the greatest storyteller on earth. He, that man could spin a tale. And uh -huh. for, for readers, it doesn't matter. That, as a, from a, craft is craft. Writers pay attention to craft. Readers sometimes pay attention to craft. Robert Ludlum got so much flack for being a bad writer, which I didn't understand until I started writing myself. So when you look for writers and open up their works to study it, 
make sure you know that you're separating story from craft. Like, don't don't confuse your admiration for the storytelling ability as then, hey, let's look at how this person does it. They're two completely separate things. Well, I am happy that we have reconnected and that we've recorded some new podcasts or, or this new episode. And I'm sad that our time is up for this episode. How about you? Uh, I've, I've been away from podcasting for so long. I'm shocked that our time is up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you all for still being here with us. Uh, We appreciate it. We will be back next Tuesday. Taylor is back alive, and we're going to get back on a regular schedule again, and we're going to have Hack the Craft material soon. I think I know what she's going to use for this Hack Hack the Craft material, and so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing where we go. Me too. And keep fingers crossed for me, guys. I'm not out of the woods yet, but I'm so close to being out of the woods.